Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home. For the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros, you can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. If you would like to get in, uh, now is a good time. Uh, we will be speaking like we do at 915-ish each Wednesday with Koki Riley about LSU football. We're going to, about an hour after that, we'll be scheduled to talk to St. Thomas More Offensive Coordinator Shane Savon. So, But other than that, the uh, phone lines will be open. And if you want to talk um, more interesting Major League Baseball last night, we'll get to a few of those things. College, I mean, we're, we're getting closer. I know there's some actual games this weekend, not, not really a lot of pe- games where with a lot of teams that we care a whole lot about directly, but there's some actual live football this weekend. And so that'll kind of get the ball rolling. And then, you know, I just get to where, and I'm, I'm kind of there. It's like, all right, it's the time for talking about this stuff needs to end. Let's do it again. Those of you who, to, it's kind of like an, a definition or interpretation of terms. I, I've heard it, it is so much irony in it. Like I, I've heard people my whole life, oh, baseball's too slow. Well, for me, football's too slow because they never play a game. It's like we all we ever do is talk about something. They never play. Baseball, they at least play almost every day. I mean, I, I just, I'm just, I just. Uh, you, you 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 hear all this. We talk about it. What's going to happen at running back? What's going to happen on the offensive line? Is Jameis going to be healthy? Oh, it's great to have this. It's great. Are we ever going to play a game? It's just it just never happens. Just got to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. That's all we do as football fans. It drives me bonkers. But anyway, the game hotline again is seven zero six zero one one one. Um. The Astros last night, It's it, there's so many things going on with the Astros right now. It's, it's like a lot of it's good and a lot of it's bad. You know, it, it, it seems like the problem, you know, I, I was fine with it. The problem with a six-man rotation is that it limits your bullpen options like greatly, even worse than I thought it would. It did, but what I don't get is like we're about to get to September and they can add pitchers. So the talk is that they're fixing to scrap the six-game rotation and go back to a five-man rotation because it's left them in trouble bullpen-wise. And I think one of the morals of the story here, and I, I've said this off and on for a while, a lot of times we build these bullpen guys up to greater than they really are. So, like, if you remember, like, like I've used Kenley Jansen, 
in the past. A lot of these guys, you know, they're babied. It all started with Dennis Eckersley, who, again, Tony LaRusa and Dennis Eckersley and all that Dennis Eckersley, I, you know, he, he is way overblown. The whole idea of babying closers started in the late 80s with Dennis Eckersley. You know, before that, you had the Raleigh Fingers and the and the Bruce Suiters and the, and the Goose Gossages, and those guys pitched two. You know, they would get two and three inning saves. They would pitch more than one inning all the time. And we baby these closers, and it started in the late '80s with Dennis Eckersley, who had thir- who played for 25 years. He had 13 good years, 12 bad years, and they put that cat in the Hall of Fame. But anyway. Um, and, and what happens is how many of us, and I've done it too, how many of us, are, are a, a, a pitcher, a, a, a relief pitcher comes in and does his inning and you say, well, why you pull him out? He had a good inning because they're babies. And if you pull them out, if you don't pull them out, they're going to get lit. And how many times... Uh, you've seen it, especially in the postseason. You ask these guys to get extended, and they get lit. It's unbelievable. But anyway, so the Astros are going from a supposedly, I don't know if they're going to go back to it in September, because theoretically, now, in the September call-ups are not what they used to be. You used to just be able to call up all kind of people. It's limited now. It's just a handful, less than a handful. So... It's not like you can, you know, you're going to have a whole new pitching staff in September like you did in the past. But even if you just call up one or two more arms, whether it's Brown or Martinez or both, um, it seemed like you should still be able to have a functional bullpen. But it sounds like they're gonna they're going back if you believe what you read to a five man rotation because the bullpen has been an issue, a serious issue. Now. I'm hoping some of this bullpen stuff is, you know, just the natural. Again, just look at this: the Astros offensively. It, it, you know, for for most of the season, Bregman wasn't doing anything. Uh, Icky got off to a hot start, then went in a big slump, and El Perro was doing great. Well, now Bregman, thankfully, is is looking more like. 2019 Bregman, Bregman for the first time in three years, and that's a very welcome and refreshing development. And Icky's hot again. He's on a 15-game hitting streak. And now El Perro can't hit the ball. Can't hit it. He's done. Like, I'm not saying he's done. But right now, it's like, it, it's kind of, baseball's just, it's like that. It's kind of like a hacker's golf game. I've said it before. Like, if you're a bad golfer, a hacker, then, you know, you, you, you're getting off the tee box and you, and, you, and you work on it and you work on it and you finally get it to where you, you get, you know, you're doing better on the tee box and then your putting falls apart. And then once you get your putting fixed, your iron game falls apart. That's kind of how baseball is. Now, the hope is that somehow when you get to the postseason, all three will be heading in the right direction. Right there in the middle of the order. Then it, you know, if if you could ever do that, then 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 that's when you win the World Series. But hopefully uh, that can happen. But uh, El Perro's got to stop swinging at pitches in the dirt. I just, it's just. 
You know, Bregman has a has always had a great eye. Every once in a while, he gets himself out, but normally he doesn't. Um, so he wasn't getting himself out, and he still wasn't hitting for the most part in the last three years. Well, El Perro's just getting himself out. He's just swinging at everything. In the first three months of the season, he wasn't swinging at everything. So I don't know why he can't just stop swinging at everything. But he's right now he he just doesn't seem to have the ability to, to not swing at every pitch that's thrown to him. It's I mean all they can do is stick with him. There's nothing else to do. But last night, Verlander, just to show you where you are and where the Astros are, had six no hit innings, and they pulled him. I thought in the middle of the six, I'm like, there's no way he can finish this. But I thought they'd at least give him the seventh. They didn't even give him the seventh because he he wasn't really that close to 100 pitches yet. I thought they'd at least give him the I was thinking, well, he, he'll go to next inning, the seventh, get to about 100 pitches or a little over 100 pitches, and then I don't think they're going to let him go, even if he's got a no-hitter going. Well, they didn't even send him out there for the seventh. I was like, whoa. And so um, I think it shows you that they're, you know, all of the all the focus is about October, and it should be. Um, but it all also has to do with trying to get him ready because he's going to be pitching more innings from here on out because apparently they're going back to a five-man rotation to save the bullpen. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, you know, I think Garcia is the odd guy out. I mean, he just he has not looked good uh, this year. To me, he's just not as sharp. He has not progressed. He's not pitching bad, but I don't think he's pitching as well as he was going into last year. So we'll see how that plays out. But it was a struggle at the end. It was a struggle offensively until Bregman bailed out um, Icky. Uh, Icky's doing well, but he's had two coup de gras opportunities in the last four or five games. Well, one Saturday he had a chance to deliver to coup de gras and he and he and he got a guy thrown out of the plate. Last night he had a chance to deliver to coup de gras and he grounds into a double play with the bases loaded and one out up two to nothing. Oh I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. But um I don't want to change his name to coup de gras. For a while that was Shane Reynolds' nickname because Shane Reynolds later in his career he just He'd get to two outs, he'd get to two strikes, and he just could not deliver that finishing blow. He just could not do it. So I started, for a while there, I had to change his nickname to, to Coup de Gras because he just couldn't get it, just couldn't deliver that finishing blow. Hopefully, uh, Icky starts doing that real soon and uh, don't have to change his nickname or add or give him a second one. Uh, speaking of nicknames, I was having, I've been having fun with Saints fan friends about um, Kenyon Drake. We saw one report that the Eagles are going to, you know, potentially, you know, get them in for a visit and see how that goes. I'll tell you what, if that happens, the Eagles are really starting to get on my nerves. For one, they just crush. Every time the Saints go to Philly, they just get their face crushed. They don't get beat. I mean, they just get skull drugged. Every time they go to Philly, just get annihilated. I mean, it's just not even a competition. 
And no, I mean, most of the time when the Philly comes to New Orleans, the Saints win. They've won, you know, that very first year in 2006, they, they beat them twice, 27-24. And they – now the Saints did have that first ever playoff win with one of the top ten plays in Saint history, second and 11 from about their own 49. They handed it to Kerry Robinson. He got 13 yards uh, 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 on, right up the middle on a run on second and 11 with the game on the line and the season on the line, and I just still can't even believe that play took place, and that will be one of my most <laughs> unbelievable plays to me in Saint history. But anyway, um, other than that, man, every time they go to Philly, they just get their face crushed. So um, at least recently. And so if they if they take, and I said we already come up with the nickname, the Playmaker. Because the man said he's ready to make plays, so I'm gonna call him the playmaker. I'm gonna take him at his word. Now, if he if the if the Eagles sign him, of course, I don't even know if the Saints are interested. I would think they should be. They need another running back. They seem to know that, but for a while. But I don't know if they really get it. So if the Eagles take him, I'm gonna you know continue to really. I never really liked the Eagles. Then I went through a phase where I didn't really care about the Eagles, but now I'm fixing to go back to I don't like the Eagles. I hated those Ron Jaworski, Wilbert Montgomery, those Eagles. I hated those teams. And then I didn't care about the Eagles for the longest time. Um, but but now I'm starting to not like them a lot with pretty good fervor there. So And then if they take the playmaker, then I'll be really not happy. All right, let's do this. We will take a timeout. Still got the win. It was ugly. Was able to sleep good. I appreciated it. We'll see in Carlos Correa's comeback game to Houston. He got the first hit. How, how ironic is that? All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back, shift gears, talk LSU football with Cokie Riley next on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The cheaters. Cheaters. The famed hated rival that beat the New Orleans Saints and others so many times in the 80s and 90s by cheating. Also known as the San Francisco 49ers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you about our ultimate tailgate getaway, where or giveaway, I should say, you could win $500 to chop specialty meats, a new grill with accessories, a cooler, a set of chairs, a $500 Visa gift card, and tickets to Cajun games, tickets to LSU football games, all kind of great prizes to enter and be eligible to win, you simply have to join the Game Rewards Club by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. It's the ultimate tailgate giveaway powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin Outdoors, and the game. All right, we have with us Mr. Cokie Riley from the USA Today Network. How are you, sir? Feel really well. How's it going, Kevin? Well, um... We normally start talking 
our show a little bit of baseball before we get to LSU football, but I figured these today we'll just go straight to LSU football. Is that okay? Right. I, I didn't feel like you wanted to talk about your Red Sox. <laughs> I mean, uh, the catcher pitched last night, so I don't, I, I don't know if there's a ton more to add. <laughs> right, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. All right, so all you know, the last couple of weeks we talked about the offense and the defense, and all summer we've talked about all the changes and. I mean, and 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 that whole theme doesn't even um, end with if you start talking about the kicking game because through the last two years of of kind of up and down and good and bad and uh, all over the place, the one consistent thing has been LSU could kick. I mean, they they had a great kicker, their punter was good, and now even they have huge question marks. It seems even going down to the kicker and the punter and the return guys. So how do you, how do you kind of see how is that shaking up? Um, the return room's in a bit of flux, but uh, as of the kickoff specialist, but I I think they've seen seems like they've sort of settled in on who the kicker's going to be, and I think Jay Bramble is going to be the punter. I think that that has been um, pretty clear since he transferred over from Notre Dame. I mean, um, uh, Brian Kelly and Brian Polian are very comfortable with him because obviously he was their punter for the last few few years. Um, so he's going to be the punter. And then it looks like Damien Ramos is going to be the kicker. Uh, we got a little bit of news yesterday that he's in the lead for the place-kicking battle, the four-man place-kicking battle they have right now. Um, so it looks like he's going to win the job over Trey Finnegan, who uh, kicked for the last few years at Northwestern, and has some in-game experience despite being a walk-on. Uh, Ezekiel Mata and, then, and, and uh, Nathan Divert, who's the uh, three-star freshman who's pretty, who Kelly says is pretty talented. So it looks like Ramos, he's a redshirt freshman. He's going to be the place kicker. Uh, Bramblin at punter. Um, the uh, punt return and kickoff duties are still a little bit up in the air. Um, uh, so I'm not 100% sure where they're going to go um, with that. With that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, special teams, especially at the kicker spot, probably isn't quite as strong as it has, as it's been years past. You know, I think Bramblett, there's a chance he could be an upgrade over Avery Atkins this season at Punta. Now, t- I mean, I don't know anything about Ramo. So was he just uh, your typical walk-on kicker, or did he come from another school, or w- what's the yeah, background? Yeah, he, he sat and didn't appear in any games last season. He is a walk-on kicker. Um, but I mean, he's been doing the kicking duties, uh, during, uh, practices and it seems like he's done a decent job. And during the, during the scrimmage last week that we saw, he was the kicker and the one kick that was missed, it wasn't his fault. It was a bad snap, um, from Slade Roy, who's going to be the long snapper this season. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're not a hundred percent sure what his range is exactly. Uh, since again, he's a walk on and. We haven't seen him kick a ton outside the outside of a scrimmage or two, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how effective he ends up being. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be kind of a, a, a we'll see, right? I mean, he's definitely not going to be Katie York, but he, he just can't be a disaster for this team, right? Because they need they're they're going to there's going to be times where they're going to need those extra points because. Um, not actual, not literal extra points, but also well, maybe uh, literal you know, extra points. Yeah. Yard field, right, forty right. yard field goals, right? Just because, I mean, this, if you had to say there's a question it, between the offense and the defense, which is the bigger, bigger question mark for this team, it's probably the offense. So, but I mean, um, you know, I, I've always thought 
that for 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 head coaches to to evaluate a kicker, especially a kicker that's never done it before, can't be that easy to do because it's. I mean, I guess everyone has to prove they can get it done under the lights, as they say, when the game is real. But kickers are way more mental. I, I think. I guess other players you use the that word we use choke, which we probably overuse, but. I guess other players, quote unquote, choke. But I think there's, you know, kicking is more like free throw shooting to me. So it seemed like so much of it is mental. You're not reacting. You're just kind of, your mind can get in the way here. And you just never know how a kicker, especially a young kid who's never done it, um, is going to handle that pressure. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of it depends on, sort of the chemistry and continuity you have with your long snapper and your holder, right? Because if those guys screw up even, like, slightly, then it kind of throws off your timing, and now you have to just physically, you know, even if it is slightly to the kick, and now the then the, now the kick's probably going to go off and be off. And, like, it's, you know, it's, a lot of it's, like, timing. A lot of it's, um, I, I guess, continuity, for lack of a better word. Um, and then a lot of it's, again, just sort of, like, free throw shooting in a way where it's repetition, repetition, but you're relying on all these other guys to also do their jobs, right? Because it's, you have to sort of act as one unit in that situation. It's not just the kicker. Like, like again, in the scrimmage um, where Ramos didn't miss his kick, but it, had nothing, it pretty much had nothing to do with him. It was a bad snap, a little bit high, and, and it delayed the holding process. Um, and, then, and, ended up, and then he had, had to end up rushing the kicks. So um, it was one of those sort of situations. So I, I think it's it, – I mean, I, I think kicking is a little bit more of a um, – I, I, for lack of a better word, like a, a group effort uh, than most people think. But I mean, regardless, Ramos is a, obviously a giant part of that, and he's going to have to um, – make those kicks this for LSU this year. I think Most that, at least. right. Because it hasn't been official that he's the kicker, but he's likely going to be the kicker. It, you know, I've, I think that for a long time, most of my life growing up, you know, if you had a great kicker, it was a little bit of a luxury. 50-yard kicks didn't happen on a regular basis in the college game like they do in the NFL mm-hmm. game. But, but now it's, you know, there's a lot more good kickers than they used to be, and 50-yard field goals are no longer – you know, a little on the unusual side. So to me, it's kind of important to be able to have that kind of range, of, you know, you know, playing at, in the SEC. Yeah. Um, again, we, we're not really sure what Ramos's range exactly is. Um, my guess is it isn't crazy. Um, but, heck, you never know about these things sometimes, right? Because a lot of these kickers that get plucked out from these schools, um, sometimes they come from these pretty small schools, right? So... Uh, it's like the kicking, I guess my guess what I'm saying is that the kicking recurring process isn't necessarily always perfect, right? Sometimes it's the guy from Tulane who wins the uh, special, who's the best kicker of the year, you know? So, um, yeah, well, I mean, we're just going to have to wait and see with Ramos. All right. Um, I like to, and I can get myself in trouble. I've admitted that many times over the years. I'm a, I'm a bad schedule watcher. So, have have you analyzed this schedule in terms of do you like the way it is? You know, I I, I kind of if you're not a if you're not like an elite team, and there are two or three teams that 
you probably feel like you're not as good at and you're probably not going to win. I'd almost rather play those teams on the road because probably not going to win that game anyway kind of thing. So have you kind of analyzed this schedule from what you know about LSU's team, which, again, is we understand it's all a giant question mark still with this team this year, and what you know, how, how do you like the structure and the home and away of this schedule? Um. I think it's a difficult schedule. I don't think it's an impossible schedule. Like Mississippi State's schedule is pretty impossible, for example. But um, I think that they have a bunch of games that are that are winnable, but will be tough. You look at the Arkansas game on the road. You look at the Florida game on the road. You look at the Tennessee game at home. You, I mean, you kind of just go right down the line. Like even games that if they were home, you'd feel a lot more comfortable with them winning a game like Auburn. Like that game's gonna be on the road this year. Right. Um, it's, it's a lot of a lot of stuff like that. I mean, Ole Miss at home, but Ole Miss has become a stronger program. Mississippi State's at home, but Mississippi State has become a stronger pro- program. I think a lot of their schedule just has the difficulty. Of their schedule just has to do with the SEC West just being really strong in the last last year or two, right? Um, all these programs that were usually easy wins for not I don't know about easy wins for LSU, but wins for LSU are now much difficult, much more difficult because, you know, coaches like Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach have elevated the, the state of the program. Like, if they were playing Florida at home, I, you'd feel a lot more confident with them winning against a team that, that has a first-year head coach. But the thing is, is that that game's on the road, you know? and Or even a game like Tennessee, they're at home for that game. But, I mean, Tennessee's offense is so prolific that that game's not going to be easy, right? So... Not a ton of easy games for them um, this season. Even their end of year uh, non conference game, uh, non power five non conference games against UAB. UAB is a very good team. So they went nine and four last season. They beat BYU in the Independence Bowl. I know. I, I, I know. Uh, bowl wins and losses are are very very fluky these days because of um, guys dropping out of the draft and whatnot. Um, but I, I that's that's still something, right? So I don't know. I. I this is this is a pretty difficult schedule, but I, I, at the same time, I, I also don't think it's impossible, right? So, if, if you're going to beat Alabama, playing them at home is a lot easier than playing them on the road. And yes, they'll probably lose that game, but at the same time, they have the top tier talent to make it interesting at the very least, if not win that game. So, um, you know, I, I think it's very difficult their schedule, but I don't think it's an impossible schedule um, in terms of getting to at least seven, if not eight wins. All right, so your kind of guess for what their record would be at the beginning of camp three or four weeks ago, has it changed one way, you know, one or so, one way or the other now, or or, or is it the same? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've pretty much, I've kept it consistent with eight wins. Um, I, I think if their schedule was a little easier and, and I, I, I here's the part of the reason why I didn't really want to change it over the preseason is just because, yeah, I mean, one of the things about preseason sports, not just college football, is that you get a lot of positive reports, right? And you get a lot of optimism and you get a lot of, this guy's looking really good. And a lot of the times that just doesn't really um, come to fruition, right? So right. You, you need there needs to be a sense of, um, I guess cautious pessimism to go along with your cautious optimism, and you just kind of have to go with what the roster says um, uh, and, and past performances, and you know stuff like that, like really like more concrete things than just 
um, Colby Richardson looks really good in preseason. Maybe Colby Richardson's going to be great for them, and and uh, that they were totally right about his progress during preseason. But um, you can't necessarily count on that as much, right? So you don't want to put that stuff too put that stuff too much into consideration, right? Um, because if you if you're around this team every single day, you'd think that they were going to be a like a, a nine or ten win team easily. But that's the, the, with this schedule and some of the up, uh, the natural up and downs that come with the season, I, I, I'm still sticking with my my eight and four prediction. I just feel like, yes, I think the ceil- I think the floor of this team is higher than what people think, just because of the Brian Kelly coach team, just because Brian Kelly coach teams almost never have losing records. I believe he's only had two or three losing records over his, uh, in over 30 years of coaching. That's a crazy stat. I, I think that will continue just because they have. The, the talent to keep that to keep that up, even the SEC West. But I have trouble seeing them get the nine, ten, or heck, even eleven wins, just because there's so many new pieces, and all those new pieces need time to mesh. And that's especially true of the offense. And when you have offensive line concerns, that's that's always a big red flag to me. So um, I, I think when you can sort of combine all those all those things together. Um, even with my little spiel about the, the value of preseason sports, I, I think that uh, I, I think they're at roughly an eight and four regular season team. Then who knows what happens in the bowl game? All right. So one more kind of off kind of side question. You mentioned Richardson. Do you have a much firmer idea a week later from since we talked last Wednesday on who the two starting cornerbacks are going to be? Honestly, I think he's going to start. Um, maybe I don't, I don't know if he'll play every single snap and be. They're Tredavious White, for uh, for for instance, but um, I, I definitely think he's going to be a very key part of the rotation. I think he's going to start because Seven Banks has been kind of an in and out of practice. Um, he, I, Coach Kelly, like a week a week or two ago, said he was dealing with some soreness, so he was held back a little bit. But um, that, that's part of the reason. And, and Gardner is, has been a very valuable valuable piece. Um, but it, but it seems like when they run out the first team defense to start practice, at least when they started practice yesterday, that Richardson was with the with, with the ones. So um, my guess is that he's going to actually start for them, uh, which, which sounds a bit scary. Which might seem to sound a bit scary to some LSU fans, even with his progress in the preseason. But they also have some depth behind him um, if if Banks and Garner aren't starting. So it'll be interesting to see. All right, so I'm. Sh- I don't know. I mean, I, I get to this point. I'm like, are we ever gonna play a game? If you had that thought, like, I'm tired of. Yeah. Are we ever <laughs> gonna play a game? <laughs> that's that's exactly my thought. I'm just ready for the real season to start. I'm I am I'm running into uh, preseason fatigue. Yes. Because because it gets to a point where you're just where you're we're we're just asking. It seems like we're asking Coach Kelly the same questions every single week. Right. So you know. Let's get some new content or some new games and some fresh blood. I'm ready for it. Absolutely. All right. I appreciate your time as always, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Kevin. Take care. Koki Riley, the USA Today Network. You know, I I don't think we are um, alone. I'm sure there are, you know, media members covering college football teams all over the country who are like, okay, enough of this. Let's play football. All right. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back with more on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote. 
an award-winning journalist, popular sports talk show host, and a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decided to inflict them with, with the, the host bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. A normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. This out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. Dr. Foot is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to the game. Footnotes on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. We want to remind you about the game clubhouse. 1037 the game, 1041 thegame.com can uh, help you, you know, on a date or just you need it. You had a long day at work. Um, and you need to eat out that night just to kind of rest your mind a little bit, do something a little different, you could win a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse, a $50 gift certificate to Acadiana Bar and Grill, or a $25 gift certificate for Mabel's Kitchen. But you can only score all any of these great prizes by going by joining the game clubhouse today. It's free, it's simple. So sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. All right, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. If you would like to, if you have any comments, LSU football fan perhaps, uh, have any comments on anything that Koki said evaluating LSU's schedule or the or the special teams. In a, you know, the kicking game is something that so many people overlook, and it decides so many games. Every year at the college level, I mean, at all levels, but even at the high school level, can't tell you how many games I've seen where, um, you know, the game is 14 to 13 or something, and, and this one team, they just can't they just can't make their extra points. Now, it's a little different, obviously, a little more elevated level on, on basic kicking. But uh, with the Cajuns, uh, you know, we talked about it. Did we talk about it yesterday? I know we talked. I think we talked about it on the air. Like one of the things, like the Cajuns, all of we, we've been talking a lot about the the quarterback scenario, and and that got announced where Chandler Fields is the starter. But now, I mean, I think everybody kind of thought Kenny Amadaris was going to be the starting kicker. But after this past Saturday second scrimmage, you kind of done. I don't know. Like Kenny didn't have a good day, and other guys did, and so. Uh, according to Coach Dez, and maybe he's just pushing them. You know, coaches play mind games. It, this is not a new process. Coaches use statements made in the media to motivate or, you know, whatever, help their mental uh, coaching or motivation or whatever um, with their players. That's been going on forever. So we'll see. How that plays out, but but again, so many of us as fans and media members, we just discard that part of the game when we're evaluating teams. I mean, I think most 
fans and media members in this country, when they evaluate a team, they talk about the they talk about the quarterback because we're so many QWs in this in this country, and then and then it goes quarterback, offense, defense, and 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 so often we forget about the special teams now. The Cajuns in recent years, kind of a mix. Like LSU's been fabulous at the, uh, has been fabulous at kicking in recent years. The Cajuns have not. Now the Cajuns have been good on their coverage teams, a large in part because Percy Butler was like a special kind of. They're going to be talking about. Percy Butler special teams play in these parts for a long time. Like, so that's one thing that we probably haven't focused enough. Like, we talked about it a couple times, and we certainly asked that question early on several times in, in, in August camp. But, you know, um, sometimes you can just take that for granted. And so the Cajuns have been good at punter since Reese has gotten there, and they were good at punter before that. I mean, the punting game hasn't really been a problem. The kicking game has been an issue. Like, I want to – they missed, like, five extra points and five or six field goals last year. I mean, it was – it was – and not only that, again, one of the – you really feel handcuffed when – and it, it depends on the level. Like, I can still remember the 2000 – Six NFC championship game. Now, some of that had to do with Soldier Field is a complete clown show, but not most of it. And I can remember, I, I, you know, the Saints are in the NFC championship game trying to get to the Super Bowl, and you are an NFL football team. And I don't remember exactly where the ball was. It was at like at the 32 or 33. We're not talking about a 60-yard field goal here. And they 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 could the kicking wasn't even an option. I'm like, what am I watching? This is an NFL football game. I can't kick a 50-yard field goal. I mean, I mean, it's just again, so often you just take it for granted and then when, and so how often in the last Three or four years, Coach Napier was like, man, I, I think we got to go. I don't think we can. I have no confidence that we can make this field. Like, at that time, I mean, they just had no confidence. And so it's very important. It it, it, it impacts your play calling. Um, uh, fortunately, when they really needed it a couple times, they came through. You know, 51-yard, 50, 51-yard field goal. I forget the number uh, on the last play of the game against Georgia Southern at home a couple years ago. Another one of those close games that they easily could have lost if they won. But um, kicking game is very important. Very, very, very important. And so that's one of the reasons why I think many people in the NFL around the country in the NFL circles are underrating the Saints. And because I think the Saints are going to have as good a special teams as there are in the entire league. Now, I don't know statistically they're going to end up number one or whatever. I don't know. I'm not worried about that. I I just think I think they're as far as a combination of coverage teams, punter, 
and kicker, I just don't see how you're going to get much better unless there are injuries. I mean, again, it's always injuries. It, it, it makes a big difference. You know, b- before there was a time not that long ago at, for the Cajuns where they would give up kickoff returns to the 40 and 50 on a pretty regular basis. That has not been the case a lot in recent years. And so it's going to be very important that they can maintain that. It's more important than most people realize, especially in a cl- – in a close game, you have to be able to do all those little things right. So we'll see how that plays out for the Cajuns and the Tigers. And uh, probably the thing that I'm the most confident in with the Saints is the kicking game. And that's so great to say because for the first, you know, 15 years, 13 years maybe, of of the Breeze-Casper era, the kicking game was terrible. They, they were just, it was a clown show. And that played a huge role um, in a lot of games. Just just awful. So, no, it's it's important. The Cajuns need a, or it's the, the first couple games at home against teams that on paper they're better than. There's going to be many important things to view. And one of them's going to be they need to make kicks so Coach Des can have confidence that he can utilize them and that he can send them out there and not have to go for it on fourth down and not have to be extra aggressive on third down that you can make a kick. And so that's going to be very important. And I'm sure Coach Kelly's going to be wondering the same thing because, again, LSU's got major questions. They're going to be putting someone out there that's never done it at that level before. Muy importante. All right, we will take a timeout, come back, and finish out the first hour of footnotes on this glorious, what is today? Wednesday? Right, the Astros were off on Monday, game two of the series against the Twins. It is Wednesday. We'll be back on the game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. To footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you about the Black Pot Cookoff. The Orneville Volunteer Fire Department is hosting a Black Pot Cookoff on Saturday, September the 10th. There'll be real football played that day. Games. We won't just be talking about it. They'll actually be playing games. The game. The cooking begins at 8 a.m. Eating will start at noon in the Flower Auditorium in Orneville. There'll be plenty of live music, including Gerald Grunig and Gentilly Zydeco. Dustin Saunier and Sweet Cecilia. For more information, visit ornavillefire.org. All right. One of the things sports does is give you some, as they say, very strange bedfellows. A lot of Braves fans don't necessarily like the Yankees. But a lot of Braves fans were huge Yankee fans the last two nights as the Yankees completed a two-game sweep of the Mets. Uh keeping the Braves or increasing, advancing the Braves' hopes of uh, winning the NL ESPN division. And um, it is, uh, you know, a little bit of surprise. Obviously, the Mets have been playing well. The Yankees had been playing terrible, but that's baseball. I mean, 
That stuff can change in a day. And you say, well, momentum is tomorrow's starting pitcher. Well, on paper, the Mets had the better starting pitching, but I mean, the in the first game, the 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 Yankees were throwing Herman, who's not been good, against the great Max Scherzer, Hall of Famer, and it didn't happen. So, very strange uh, in the minds of a lot of people. But it, I mean, it falls under that. That's baseball, and you know, I I, I made the comment a couple of days ago that look, they're not gonna. The Yankees are not gonna keep playing this way the rest of the season. They they made the Piper angry because they won way too many games at the beginning of the year, way too many. So they were due, you know, for a for a big slump. They were, you know, the Yankees. They just they they won too many games. You just can't win that many games at the beginning of a season. And so they were setting all these records and historical standards and all that. And then you know the Piper said, "Just wait." And uh, the Piper got them, but now we'll see how they rebound. And they weren't going to continue to, um, you know, they're not going to, they weren't going to play that bad and lose what, whatever it was, 14 out of 16 or whatever. They weren't going to do that for the rest of the season. That's That wasn't going to continue. And so that was a uh, great two game. Plus, in that area, I'm sure, you know, the Mets fans were probably howling and they couldn't wait to play the Yankees. And then the Yankees beat them twice. So, um, I'm sure you know the a lot of that was a lot of fun for the fans. Willie Mickey and the Duke kind of stuff there uh, in New York City over the last couple of days, and so we'll see how that um, plays going forward. But uh, still a long way to go. Still, I don't know exactly, but still forty something games left. So lots of lots of baseball to be played between now and the end of September. All right, that'll do it for the first hour. Another hour to follow on the game. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You can watch a simulcast on the stadium, 32.3 or 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline. 706-0111, We talked a little LSU football like we do each Wednesday. Talked a little bit of Major League Baseball. Very slightly on the Saints. We'll be talking some high school football again in the next segment with St. Thomas Moore offensive coordinator Shane Savoy and um, open phone lines now and after that segment and again the number the game hotline is 7060111 um pretty major figure in the history of the NFL has died Lynn Dawson who was the quarterback at the Kansas City Chiefs in the late 60s and early 70s Lynn Dawson was the winning quarterback under Hank Stram in Super Bowl Four, which was played at Tulane Stadium, when the um, the Kansas City Chiefs, for us old fans of NFL films, Lynn Dawson was responsible for matriculating the ball down the field, and I, I, I've all you know he had a wide receiver named Otis Taylor. 
number 89. And Otis Taylor ran like a deer, very much like Lance Allworth did, another elite wide receiver from the 60s. And I don't know. I just, I just think those are two of the prettiest runners I've ever seen in 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 in, in the in the NFL, and um, great name and, and and you know iconic touchdown catch from Lynn Dawson, and you know th- there's also the, a famous picture of Lynn Dawson, of him in the locker room with his uniform on, smoking a cigarette and drinking a Fresca, and. It just shows you how different it was back then. Like, you know, think about what if one of these current quarterbacks after the game in the locker room, if there was a picture of him, you know, drinking some sort of soda and smoking a cigarette, people would say. But back then it was probably people didn't think anything of it. I mean, it was just, you know, Andy Griffith. On the Andy Griffith show, smoke cigarettes. I mean, it was just it was just more accepted back then. But anyway, uh, or accepted as healthy for sure. Some people still it's still legal today. It's just not accepted as something that a you know high high performing athlete would do, especially in a locker room situation. But it is um, again. He, I don't think anybody ever confused you know, Lynn Dawson was not like one of the top 10 quarterbacks of all time or anything. Again, he played in a very different era. He also, if you're just a fan of NFL sports, he he was an, in the media. Uh, he did, you know, it's been a while, but he, he, he was on some of these um, NFL shows, like not NFL Live, but I don't remember what he was on the NBC, but, but, but those kinds of shows. So if you're my age or a little younger, certainly a little older you 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 may not have ever seen him play I probably saw him with my eyes but that was a little I was young I was you know four years old I'm the same age as the Super Bowl so um I'm about you know I was four or five years old when he was playing some of his infamous games and so I might have been watching it with my dad or uncles or somebody but I don't really have any memory of it um but uh, certainly, I remember him in the media and his place in NFL history is a a pretty uh, solid one. So, just wanted to say those words and try to educate us. You know, histor- when, when someone historically in significant in sports dies, just to kind of put his career in in perspective. No, he he was he was certainly an above average quarterback in the NFL for you know and 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 won a and won a Super Bowl. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Morning foot. Good morning, sir. Uh nah. You see, you need that was that Joey that called yesterday that that told you everything was gonna be all right because Verlander was pitching. Was that that's his that, that's his name, Joey? Uh no, that was Manny. That was Manny. Oh man, yeah, yeah, you need to listen to him more because I mean, that it's good when Verlander pitches. Man, he's gonna win the Cy Young, right? Well, it's looking like it. Um, I but everything's I, all right as long as Verlander. No, pitches, he, very yeah. easily could have lost the game without Bregman's two-run homer. That they, they, it was, it was looking like a loss. I got you. Nah, uh, you know who runs like a deer too. More like a jackrabbit, like a like like a like a uh, like a rabbit. 
is is uh my 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 boy uh Turpin on my Cowboys. You seen that guy's numbers over the weekend? Who's Lord that? Mercy, I wonder if it's uh, Turpin, that little wide receiver from my Dallas Cowboys. I don't know that, that I've ever right. seen anybody run as pretty as Lance Allworth and Otis Taylor. I, I don't know. Do they not teach guys to run that pretty anymore? I mean, they, he is. Those Turpin guys were pretty. something. You know who I'm talking about, though, huh, Turpin? I don't that think so. kick returner. Well, uh, he had a, a kick return for, like, 98 yards, and then he had a punt return for, like, 68 yards or something like that. I, I'd seen the numbers uh, this past weekend when we demolished the uh, the boats or whatever. Nah, switching subjects. Uh, anyway, uh, you think your buddy Paul picked some cowboys on his fantasy league? Because, man, if he picks some guy, I ain't going to let him down about that as much as he hates my cowboys. I'll, I'll have to look it up. I, I really don't remember. I know he picked a lot of saints and ex-saints. Uh, or, or I should say saints and um, and saints and, and, and players in the saints division. Seemed like his team, off my memory, was very NFC South oriented. Yeah, I mean, I'm have to check on and see if he picks it. Now, you think he he woke up from uh from Fantasy Island uh yesterday since the Yankees are gonna take off? That's what he said. The Yankees are gonna take off. <laughs> oh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna explode you know? like a bomb, they and then just, they're gonna catch on fire. They gonna catch on fire. Oh, they yeah. gonna catch on fire. But uh, that their boat that they 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 own that's sinking slowly is gonna catch on fire because uh, <laughs> I've seen a stat. I don't know if it's true, but is that true? They only won four games in 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 August. Well, they ain't win many. I don't know what the number was, oh, but, they, but yeah, but that, that they're due to win. But that just means they're due to win. Now I'm a I'm gonna be honest with Paul. They're gonna be the 2022 New York Yankees are gonna be known for something, but they ain't gonna be for the World Series. They could be known as the team that blew a sixty. Uh, how big was their lead at one point? Sixteen, a uh, sixteen. It was game pretty lead. big, yeah. Now it's down to eight. Yeah. They better watch out. Like, like, uh, like, uh, James said yesterday. They better watch out for them Rays. They coming fast, and that'll be nothing. That'll be amazing if them Rays catch them, and uh, the Yankees only get a wild. They are five. very fortunate <laughs> that they are very fortunate that Donaldson hit that grand slam to beat the Rays. Let's just put it that way. All right, I appreciate That's the right. call, sir. Thank you. Yes. Yes, sir. Go Rick. Let's go to the back to the game hotline and talk to the FedEx man. Hello. How you doing this morning, there, Mister Foot? Pretty good, sir. How are you? All right. Look, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna test your knowledge again with some uh, baseball players. You know, you kind of disappoint me when you get uh, too much tunnel vision on your on your Astros. I don't uh, watch mu- I don't watch much National League baseball. I mean, I see highlights, but. I, I I don't I don't watch hardly any National League games well, because I'm, yeah I'm fixing to talk to you about American League player all right okay, okay. You, you're gonna play the Orioles this weekend aren't you uh huh have you seen that clover they got yet yeah same name in fact when you first said the guy I thought that to you no they're good like I said when when they traded their clothes everybody got down on them I'm like they're they're fine I I, yeah. I I think they thought they were fine in the pin did you see what he did last night. I did not see what he did last night, no. The, the, uh, the White Sox, I think, had a couple of men on, and it was the heart of their lineup in the eighth inning. So they brought him in to pitch to, like, Robert, Abreu, and uh, uh, Jimenez. That's inverted that's three uh, big guys, aren't they? Very good well, hitters. He struck out the first one. The next one, he threw a wild pitch at 103 miles an hour. The next <laughs> the next pitch, 102 miles an hour, he hit Abreu. And I, you know that had to hurt. Now, Jimenez came to the plate with the bases loaded. And Elidore Jimenez is a big, is a fully grown man. He's big. But he looks scared of that. No, <laughs> he really I, looks scared. I, 
I mean, producers took them out and they stuck out the side in the ninth. If the, if the Astros are behind and you got to face this cat, good luck. I, I, look, it ain't just him. Over the last two years, like last year, they had guys at Salser that went to the um, uh, Marlins. Like the Astros couldn't touch, and the Astros can't touch the, the Orioles' bullpen. But they weren't that good last couple of years, Kevin. But the, the, this team is on the rock. This team is on the brink of being good. Next year, you know, they are, they they got the highest rated uh, farm system. They got more guys coming up. They brought that catcher up. That was uh, drafted uh, first a couple of years ago, or he's there now. Look, this team, you know, they're, they're going to be like the, what the Astros were about uh, three or four years ago when the Astros lost all their games and acquired all their picks and just became real good for a long time. Called American League's just going to be orange? I mean, it's just going to be all about orange in the American League by next year? Might be. Might be. Just be careful if any of your players get hit by a 103-mile-hour fastball and break their hand. Yeah, let's, let's, not, let's not let that happen. All right, real quick. You feel good if you play the Braves in the playoffs or no? We had beat them so much in the playoffs. Like three last four years, they beat us last year. The Giants, the Giants punched us in the gut last year, and I think it just took too much out of it. I ain't worried about the Braves. The one team I'm worried about in the National League is the Cardinals. The Cardinals do a lot of things well. I'm, I'm, I'm way more worried about them than the Braves. And I ain't worried about the Mets. It's, it's the Cardinals. And um, they, they always get the Dodgers problem. That's the team I'm worried about. I think I think that's a legitimate um, comment there. So we'll see. And you know, I would I would get a kick out of somebody from one of the central divisions making the World Series because the whole national media and most of the fans dismissed both central divisions before the season started. So I always like when the national uh, opinion is, is proven wrong. Better that distance for the Cardinals, but they good. Have a good one. All right. Thank you for the call. All right. No, it's it's going to be um, interesting to see. Um, he's right. The Cardinals they they're not like scared of the of the punks like like the Yankee like teams like the Twins. They just get they they play the Yankees and then they're just you know scared and they run. But um, that's not the case with the Cardinals and and the punks. All right, one more call, then we got to get to a break. Hello. Foot, uh, I know the Cardinals are good, but he's not worried about the Braves. He's worried about the Cardinals, really? Well, the Braves are in a medicine season, so there's no real reason for him to worry about the Braves. But, uh, but no, the Cardinals, the, I think the Cardinals, they, they historically they do pretty well against them. What, was he worried about the Braves last year when the, when the Braves played the Dodgers? Uh, I don't know. I don't have to. I don't really remember. <laughs> well, I mean – I think the if you had to guess right now, who's the more dangerous team to play, the Braves or the Cardinals? Well, it depends who you're talking about. I mean, it, I'm if talking it, about anybody. If you had, a, if you were the Astros in the uh, National League and you had to play one, you could pick your choice to play one of the two in the first round. Who would you take? Oh, I, I would, I would take, the take the Cardinals, but understand, Troy, it's a medicine seat. You're not going to the World Series. But I don't worry about medicine. Well, you don't have to worry about them, but I mean, they they, they exist. I didn't say so you have to worry make about it. To the World Series, it's, it's, it's a great. It, 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 it would be, it'd be, it'd be, you know, ground historically groundbreaking. Well, I, I mean, I, 
and I want to play the Dodgers again because I mean I want Freddie Freeman so bad, but you just have no idea. Uh, I, and, and, I and I want to in with Freddie Freeman at bat on a, on a strikeout by Max Fried. Good luck but with that. We'll see what happens. All right, all right, all right. All right. got to take a timeout. We'll shift gears, talk high school football with St. Thomas Moore offensive coordinator Shane Savoy next on the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For Sports Talk Love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. To footnotes before we get to our special guest. Want to remind you, Delta Media's got you covered for lots of great high school football action this fall. St. Thomas Moore's Cougars will be right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, Katiana Wrecking Rams, FM 97.7, FM Karen Crow Bears at Z1059, the Southside Sharks, Mustang 107.1. The Vermeer Parish Game of the Week, 106.3 Radio Lafayette. The St. Landry Parish Game of the Week, News Talk 98.5. And the Bar Buccaneers on the game, 104.1 Lake Charles. Again, we have with us St. Thomas Moore Offensive Coordinator Shane Savoy. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. It's, a, it's another day. I wish it would stop raining, but uh, life is good. Now, you've done this a long time as a coach, and – Y'all have the facilities to handle it, but man, has it rained more in this August camp than any time in recent memory? Yeah, I guess I guess you would say so, but I can remember, you know, a few years back where it seemed like we kind of ran through the same thing, and and I guess the reason my memory would be jogged is because I'm kind of in control of the footballs, and that's probably the thing you lose the most uh, in the early season because of rain days is just leather footballs, so it's uh it's more than normal, for sure. Not sure if it's the most we've had in the last 10 years. But, and also, I mean, is it, a, you know, if you're a pass-first football team or a team that throws it a lot, like y'all have for years, I mean, it's got to make it a little more complicated, I would think. It does, but it actually is something we try to embrace with our kids because you never know when that game's going to happen during the season where you got to execute your offense in subpar conditions. So the earlier we can kind of get practice at that to see where we're at, uh, the better. The, the thing you just want to watch for as with the quarterbacks is as the balls get heavier and heavier, you, you kind of risk wearing out their arms a little bit. So it's just kind of monitoring those things as you go. But as far as a scheme and, and a coordinator, you really want to get practice days in the weather just so your kids can get used to doing it and being able to be efficient with the weather. Um, we talked about, I can remember talking to you about how this was going to be a, a good scenario or the bright side of a, uh, of a d- bad situation a year ago when we talked last year, but you're in a unique position because you, you're in the year after a, you know, historically good quarterback career. And yet y'all got, unfortunately had to get experience without him. So how much has that helped so far in this preseason? 
I can remember talking with you last year. I think it it's it paid huge dividends for us. Uh, we're starting to realize some of those gains now where uh, I feel like both guys are probably a half a season ahead of where they probably would have been had they not gotten the experience they got last year in those four ball games where Walker was, was out. Uh, Sam and Will have really continued to develop throughout the, the spring and into the summer. And, you know, I'm excited with where they are. Uh, really excited just to, you know, kind of continue to, to progress those guys through this season and, and, and hope that it's good enough that that position can, can be enough to, for us to have success again this season. All right, so how, how did it go with playing them in the scrimmage? How do you see it kind of playing out in the jamboree and then into the regular season? Well, it's each kid has their own benefits, their own things that they do really well, their strengths. Each one of them has their own weaknesses. So as play caller, you try to manage and, and, and you kind of manipulate those things as you can. Um, both of them have done a great job. Both of them have developed. They have good days. They have bad days. Um, I guess where you would say I'm at now is neither one has really set themselves so far apart that the other one would not play. Uh, so until that kind of happens, uh, I would foresee a situation where they're both playing. Now, if it's equal snaps or, or you know, disparate a little bit, maybe we'll get into that. But, but the opportunity for both of them to play will be there, especially early on in this season. You had some running backs that showed some flashes last year. Do you feel like the running game from a yards production standpoint and a play call count standpoint will play how much of a bigger role this year than in the last two years? Well, I think the run game, but really the the starting cast around our quarterbacks are going to be able to insulate those guys, and it really starts with the guys up front. Uh, three returning starters and Cole Brown at center, left tackle, Luke LaMare, right guard, Ashton Hilaire. Uh, we throw in a couple more seniors into that starting front, and, and now we have some seasoned vets at front. And then you throw in some talented running backs. You know, uh, Charlie Payton ended up leading the team in rushing last year. Hutch Willie came on strong, had about 200 yards against uh, Liberty Magnet in the playoffs. And then Jean-Luc St. Pierre had a great offseason in spring. There's just a a solid group that should be able to take some pressure off of those quarterbacks and, and allow us to be able to, to get them into the groove early in the season before we have to rely on them. But even with the receiving crew, we're returning guys with a lot of experience out there as well. So, okay, I should have done this. Freshman, I remember y'all are playing the second game on Friday? Second game on Friday against Cecilia. Should be a – I mean, you know – it's a jamboree, so you. All, I guess you want to win. It's not that all that important, but I mean, Cecilia's got some weapons, so it seemed like that's a pretty good test. They do, yeah. I think it'll be a really good matchup defensively. Kind of seen a good bit of them this week. Really impressed with them uh, in the box, and they they got some speed on the back end. So it, it'll be a good test for us. And really, that's where you're at in preseason. You know, being able to scrimmage at Notre Dame, being able to turn around and get in the jamboree against Cecilia. Hopefully, it shows some of our issues that we need to work on and it, and it and it allows us to fix those things before we get into games that really start counting. So what, uh, t- tell me um, what you've seen. I know you, you know, you're an offensive coach, but you, you know, you see the defense as an offensive coach. So what have you seen from there and, and what are potentially some question marks coming into the season there? Well, defensively, we, we are in a really good spot. From compared to where we were last year because a lot of those guys who played last year are back. Uh, 
and their their veterans. You're talking about a senior three-year starter and and Beckwith Nicholas Beckwith at free safety. You're talking about another three-year starter and defensive tackle uh, Holden Matthews. Uh, so having those two guys as a staple kind of the defense and, and the building of around the guys around them uh, defensively. Uh, we are in a really good spot. I remember telling Coach Hightower this summer, like the summer and the seven-on-sevens uh, probably was the best we've looked defensively in probably about three years, uh, just to see them come around. And, and really, it's a testament to our coaching staff, and it really is a testament to that senior leadership that we have on the defensive side of the ball. Um, outside linebackers, to me, when as a spread offensive coordinator, the position that all spreads are designed to kind of put the most pressure on are those outside linebackers, those strong safeties, those hang linebackers, whatever people want to call them. Uh, and I really feel with the two returning starters we have in those positions, and Christopher Blanc and Peyton Davi, uh, we have a Peyton David. Sorry, he he would he's a David, not a Davi. Oh, come on uh, now. But those two guys, those two guys with their experience from last year uh, and seeing them in the spring. Um, I think are going to make our defense formidable, especially against some of those spread teams. All right, so um, your district is, you know, it's been tough for years, and, and it's it, it it's a little different this year. Um, Karen Crow's up in 5A, and LCA is in, and, you know, I don't know that it's that much of a change there in that, you know, obviously – this year, LCA has as a really good quarterback and Cameron Crow. Their yeah. styles of plays are not all that different. So, how, how do you kind of see the district race? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's the kind of the second half of the regular season for us. We pay attention to the district, and North Vermillion was added to the district as well. Uh, but there's so much on our plate on the front half of our schedule. Uh, we really hadn't even begun to think uh, about the second part of it, but. Our first half, I think, is going to have us prepared for the challenges of our district. And, and man, what a testament to our locals, our local district that you have the Westgates who won a state title last year. You got LCA played for one, and then they've, they've won a number of those in the district. You got Turlings, who's always in the mix with it as their north side's always right on the brink. You got North Vermillion coming into it. Uh, it's going to be a battle when we get to district play. Our hope right now, and I guess my focus right now, is just getting us into these first three, four weeks in hopes that we'll be in a position come week eight, nine, ten uh, to be fighting for a district title. And who's those first couple games against? Uh, first couple games we'll play at Como, and then we'll host Alexandria Senior High, and then we'll host Brother Martin. Then we go to Catholic High Baton Rouge, and then we'll host Denham Springs. All right, so – also different from last year is once we get to speaking of looking down too far down the road w once we get to the playoffs the, the brackets are not going to look like they've looked in recent years so kind of what's your overall take is seem more balanced but uh how, how do you what's your overall take about where we are going as an organization there well, from an organizational standpoint, the, the split took place because of school zones. Uh, so that was the very reason why we, we split. Select schools were able to select kids outside of their school zone, and they had means to get kids into their school if they did not live in their traditional school district or school zone. Um, since the split till now, a lot of a lot of schools on the non-select side have created programs and started things to allow their students and you know through freedom of choice in some parishes 
uh, to be able to go to whatever school they want to. And there's a number of those non-select schools that the LHSAA, by redefining what a select school is, has now moved to the select side. Strictly from a number standpoint, it probably puts the association closer to 50-50 of non-select schools and select schools. Uh, so as far as their overall decision, I would say we're, you know, we're pleased with it because it, it seems to at least clear up what the exact reason for the split was. But I would argue that at St. Thomas More, we've kind of we've, we've voted for and have pushed to try to put the whole thing back together every time it's come up. But you're going to get more home playoff games, right? Than what we've had, yes. yes. So just because we're going from, you know, I think it's there may be 70, 80 select schools going into this season. Now we're at 190. Like it's it's pretty much doubled the number of schools on the select side, which will create what we think will be another playoff game. But that's probably the biggest hurdle right now for us with the LHSA is the decision – won't be made until the beginning of September on what divisions people will be playing in, um, who will be selected non-select schools after all the appeals are heard, and then how will the playoffs look? Are there going to be 32-team brackets, 16-team brackets? I've even heard they may be 24-team brackets. So none of that stuff, and that's kind of the more frustrating thing uh, from a, just an organizational standpoint of how the playoffs are actually going to look. Really, nobody knows, and it won't be cleared up until early September. Other than, like, pandemic freak kind of situations, I mean, it's got to be unprecedented to go into a season, start a regular season, and you don't even know what the postseason structure is. Yeah, I would say for most people it is, but on the select side, the executive committee has, has done, you know, has made decisions midseason that have affected the select schools, you know, for the last seven years. Uh, so I guess we're kind of used to it. And, and really, ultimately, it's high school sports. It's high school athletics. We're going to put the ball down. We're going to play. It's more about the competition and the lessons that we're teaching through that competition. Obviously, everybody wants to win a state title, but that can't be the end-all, be-all. All right, sir. I appreciate your time, as always. Thank you very much, and good luck to y'all. Well, thank you for having me on, and go Cougars. All right. Shane Salvo, offensive coordinator. He always does a great job. and analyzing football and his team and his players. And, you know, every year we like, well, we know SCM is going to be good. It's just how good. And uh, they're going to be a little different this year than they what we were saying they were going to be last year when none of us knew Walker was going to get hurt. But, uh, you know, they, they do have some running games and good some good running backs. And I think their running game is going to play a bigger role this year. And we'll see how that plays out in the long run. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. The game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. So we've talked high school football LSU football, some Major League Baseball, uh, mostly today. If you have any thoughts on any of those subjects, certainly feel free. No more guests for the next 20 minutes or so of the show. So if you would like to get in, again, feel free to give us a call, 706-0111. We've got – we talked about it when I read off the schedule yesterday, but uh, Coach Sawal's St. Thomas More Cougars – 
or playing is playing Cecilia in the second game on Friday, and then that second game on Thursday, which is Karen Crow and, and St. Marvel. I mean, I think those are the best two games of all the matchups that I've seen in the Jamboree. So um, certainly if you're a high school football fan, I think, you know, obviously if you have a school, then you're going to go support your school, and that's the most important. I get that. But in terms of just in general looking at good matchups, th- those are really two very good matchups. And St. You know, Karen Crow normally really good in the secondary, and they got Joni Morton, another, you know, they always seem to have at least one, if not two, elite safe, you know, secondary, whether it's a cornerback or a safety for the Bears. And they're going to be playing, obviously, against a, a highly um, explosive offense with Harvey Bruce Hardy, wide receiver, and Blanco at running back. And, um, they're not going to be a little bit, you know, maybe quite as explosive at the quarterback position as they were a year ago. But, same, you know, that, that'll that be really uh, some good matchups. And you hope that the weather's good. Because, look, it's a challenge at times um, to, for the Jamborees because, you know, it's kind of the first time under the lights for each team to go to run smoothly. And so you hope that the weather's not really bad because then rain adds to the normal nerves and first-game jitters that you get in jamborees uh, to begin with. And, and you know, you, you hope that you don't have that situation that's, that's bad. And so hopefully the rain goes away, although it seems like it rains every day. It's just unbelievable. It just rains every day. All right, let's go back to the game hotline, talk to our friend Manny. Hello. Morning, Kevin. Good morning, sir. Kevin, I, uh, you know, I was thinking about you last night. I was following the game on my on my phone. <laughs> How are you feeling there in the night then, Kevin? Well, you know, it, it, it's – the bullpen has it's, been bad for about two weeks now, yeah. really bad. Yeah, and, it, and, it, it's, really, it's, it's really on the – they're really on the struggle bus the last two weeks, man. It, it, you know – and you know, at this time of year, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a some guys are a little fatigued. And, you know, it's, it's not easy. You know, uh, I know we think they're like to you know, pay millions of dollars, but it's a hard job. I mean, just the grind of what they do, you know, on the road, airports, airplanes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not easy. So I'm hoping that uh, they can work it all out. Okay, Kevin, listen, next week. Koki comes on Wednesdays. It's Wednesdays. Every Wednesday you talk to Koki? Yes, sir. Okay, I, I'm going to have to give you a little prep next week. Cause, man, I was waiting to hear something about John Emery, you know, the running back. And, uh, you know, I know y'all y'all stayed on the kicker for Well, <laughs> what, no, what while. happened was it, it's been a plan. We did the offense three weeks or well, two weeks ago. We did the defense last yeah. week, did the special teams this week. Yeah, I, I, but, you know, I, I'm really – I'm really befuddled by the whole Emory thing. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know if I know you're not you ready to give up on John Emory. Like, how long can you know? Well, I don't know. It just seems, is it ever going to happen? I, if I knew more about what it is, according to what I have read, what I can find out, you know, because you, you know you can't. That's a big. That's one of the things that people are kind of secretive about. You know, that, that's a personal 
information issue. You know, you can't just throw all that bread on it. All coaches can't talk about. But I, I'm confused about how it can be two more games. What, what is going on with and what would make it two more games when he was out ineligible the entire season last year? Brian Kelly says he's done everything he's supposed to do. I just I'm I just was it hoping that somebody has some insight to help me understand. I've never seen a situation where a guy was out a whole year and then not to see if he didn't take care of business, he'd be ineligible again. But I I don't know how that two game thing works, you know, so uh, a little it's a little confusing to me. Uh, you know what? What's what exactly is going on? I just like how is he gonna? I, I, I just, I mean, I, I guess know. it's you possible. Can't depend on him. I mean, no, that's the, what I'm the saying. Back situation is you know, getting a little iffy. I mean, you know, the other guy that <laughs> that left and went to Oklahoma and came back, and now he's gone again. Bradford or whatever his name was, right? And now. You know, Emory, they say two games, but we went through this last year, waiting to, oh, no, they think he's going to be this. And, you know, I, I'm not – I don't think you can count on the guy. I'm just, just a little very concerned about the running back situation because that's a position that can go south in a heartbeat. I mean, you know, you can lose Bam Bam. You can drop two guys in in a half a game, you know. So it's a, it's a big area of concern. And the kid from Penn State, you know, that's from Louisiana. He's had some injury issues at Penn State. So, you know, they say he's looking really good. But, once again, it's just a position where you have to have three three good guys, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know if you can't play all three of them, but surely you play two and you got to have another guy that's ready to play. Uh, you know, in, 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 in the SEC. No, you know, I, no I, I, I agree. Um, you know, so, I'm trying to get, know, I'm trying to get the Saints to get that prepared at running back too, and they don't yeah. seem to want to. But, <laughs> but Kevin, yeah. Definitely. So, so tell me this: uh, what, it, with all this rain, how is Kaplan's mm. football field looking? Man, what is it going to look like Friday well, night? Well, I don't know. You know, the scrimmage in the pretty last week. The scrimmage was in the was kind of sloppy, but. Held on to one thing they did really well was hold on to the football. Uh, so, you know, uh, just hoping it's not raining at the time. We've been pretty good about not it's not raining at night. You know, pretty much the rain gets finished. So, uh, but I mean the preparation's been inside. You know, you just saw a pump in and out, and they just you know it's all inside. Not much you can do uh, when it's actually storming at that time. I mean they 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 went outside a little bit. You know, one day, but when it's, you know, you have, now we got all these rules and regulations. Now they go, they Kevin when lightning was striking the, the the lights of the stadium and we were running for our lives, you know. Uh, <laughs> now, I can't remember, Coach Manuel, I think lightning hit the, hit the goalpost on the practice field and Coach Manuel wouldn't even turn around and look. So, you know, so, uh, but, and they, they have to go in now. You got all these yeah. heaters and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's bad. It's as bad as I've seen in, in recent memory. You know, just consecutive. You know, so. All right. Well, be, one one more question. One more question before you go. Do you give a yes or a no on the Saints pursuing Kenyon Drake? Oh, yes. Any any professional 
any experienced running back, Kevin, how can they not be looking for another running back? I mean, you have, like you say, you have two, and nobody else is proven. I mean, and I just don't understand. And, and I know your dog years were maybe a little extra high yesterday, but, I mean, your boy Superman is – is an old dog, so he's going to have some injury issues. No 100% guarantee yes. almost. You know? so, yes. Uh, yes. Um, a strong yes on Kenyon Drake or anyone else who gets waived or cut or any other that's been doing it for multiple years and has been a real running back, you know, has actually been productive in a Two or three seasons in the NFL. I'm in. Yes. All right, guys. Y'all All right. Take care. You know, and I, I've had some people, just to follow up on that point, I've had some people, you know, really question Drake's chance at being productive. I mean, he's he's averaged four and a half yards in his career. He has 37 touchdowns. I'm not saying this guy's an elite back. I'm just saying he's done it before, and he's done it as a receiver. And he's done it as a runner. And, look, it is true that he was hurt last year. And it is true that quite a few NFL running backs hit a wall once they get to, like, the 28-30 range. And he's, I think, 28 now. And so I get all of that, but it's just just hard for me to comprehend that Tony Jones – if, if, if 41 gets injured or suspended and Superman is injured or just old, um, that Tony Jones can carry the load for a two- or three-game stretch better than someone who's done it before. I just I just don't believe that. And again, even if that's the case, you can't, Tony Jones can't carry the ball. Even if Tony Jones turns out great, like he's going to carry the ball all by himself. I don't believe it. I just I just don't believe it. Now, again, the one thing I don't know is uh, is he considered an average blocker, an above average blocker? You know, I I'd be guessing. I I'd, I'd have to I, I I tried to kind of google that and see if it, if I've ever if I could find like a and I didn't I didn't get that. You know, like some sort of scouting report on where does he grade as a blocker? Because again, that's very important. I get that. If you if you fumble a lot or you block poorly, that's a red flag for a running back for most coaching staffs. And while Antonio Gibson is very intriguing to me, one because he's been re- you know he's young, he did fumble a lot last year, so that's a serious red flag. It would also be kind of cool because the Saints once had an Antonio Gibson. It'd be cool if he came over and he was number twenty-seven, because that was Antonio Gibson's number. Uh, what late eighties, early nineties? He was a strong safety for the for the Saints. But uh, I don't know. I just want an NFL running back to be my backup, not Tony Jones. All right, that'll do it for this segment we'll take a time out come back finish out today's show next on the game southwest louisiana sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astro welcome back 
to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Speaking of the Astros, game two. There's three game series against the Twins. To FedEx Man's point, they're going to play the Orioles over the weekend. They finished, They play the Twins tonight, 7-10 first pitch. You can hear that game right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. And then they have, I don't know, I think it's 12 games, might be 11-game stretch where they play nothing but the little MVPs and the Rangers. And, you know, I got to tell you, over the last three or four weeks, the little MVPs have played a little better than I thought they were going to. Not tremendous, but better than I expected them to. They didn't totally collapse, and they've been remained competitive and won some games, so that's to their credit. Trout is back. Uh, a lot of people thought he might hang it up for the season, but he didn't. You know, the Rangers, I still don't like playing them because they got guys on their team that the Astros just can't seem to get out. Can't get Garcia out. Can't get Seager out. They really struggled in that last series with, uh, what's his name, the left-handed hit first baseman that loves to go the other way with the ball, and they struggled with him too. So the Astros really kind of struggled to get the Rangers out. But um, but normally, you know, they can find a way to win the game. Uh, uh, it just constantly amazes me how many analysts and fans say, well, they're going to get a little bit of a break in the schedule. Well, in terms of records, yeah. But, um, you know, we've all seen how many teams with bad records have beaten the Astros. And, and that happens to every team, don't get me wrong. But it seems like the Astros this year kind of tend to do a little better with teams with wins than they do against teams. didn't happen this past week because the bullpen blew up. But really, even, you know, if the bullpen pitches anything this last week like they did for the, rest, the whole season, the Astros would have had a 6-1 road trip. I mean, they had the lead. They had a double. Di- they had a two-run lead in every late in every game but one. And in that game, you know that was the, you know the Braves just soundly thrashed them. But other than that, they had a two-run lead late in every game. Um, they just didn't seal the deal, and so we'll see how they do. Uh, but, again, the twi- Framber pitches tonight, they've had a lot of success against the Twins in recent years. I don't know all the reasons. You know, the Twins, they, they, the twins have not gotten a lot of hits against them. Um, Miranda's done pretty well. But, you know, there are outs in their lineup. And you just got to make, you know, they got a break last night because Abreu was there with the bases loaded. And, fortunately, they had a hitter who was overmatched in Jay Cave who's you know, he's probably a 4A player, probably shouldn't be in the major leagues right now, but and and he's been struggling and and they, you know, he struck him out on three pitches, but if they had had one of their better hitters up, could have been could have been trouble, could have been a really bad day for me. And uh and so we'll see. Uh Presley's back in addition to wanting to give him some days off, keeps having this quote unquote stiff neck. Well, he need they need to fix his stiff neck. In September, so that doesn't come up again in October. That's for sure. They need to get that fixed for for, for sure. All right. Appreciate Koki coming on and Coach Savoy coming on and all y'all phone calls. Uh, we'll see if the Astros can get another win and clinch this series. Y'all have a nice day.